0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Ian Frazier of TXG, the definitive destination for the most in-depth information on golf equipment and club fitting. With a long history in the golf industry, Ian concluded that there's no such thing as a one club fit for all. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Ian Frazier of TXG. Ian, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Cameron. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like?
1: Um, you know, I had a very typical childhood. Grew up in the west coast of Scotland, uh, just outside Glasgow would be the, the kind of major city that that most people would know of. Uh, very close to uh, the the famous Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond uh, in Scotland. So I had a great upbringing, Cameron. Um my my kind of brother and I, uh, mom and dad, we were all, you know, crazy into sports. We spent most weekends travelling to different kind of football games, or um, or kind of eventually golf. But badminton was another sport of mine growing up that I played at a fairly high level. So yeah, it was it was just a, a very normal, typical uh, upbringing in a very very small town. So. Um, you know, very, very thankful for, for the kind of foundation that that
0: kind of, you know, gave me uh, for growing up. For sure. Uh, growing up, would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset, say like selling products or lemonade stands or anything like that?
1: Yes, 100%. I, you know, at the time, you know, and probably hear this from everyone is, you know, I didn't know that that's what it was. But uh, yeah, everything was entrepreneurial in my mind. It was mm. it was uh, washing cars in the summertime. It was, it was mowing lawns. It was. I actually used to carry. So in in uh, in high school, I made uh, I made a game. Um, so I had three dice that I used to carry in my pocket, and it was uh, you know different kind of every every kind of different uh, you know the different sort of formation of the dice. You would you'd win money. So it was like I used to charge people to play this game, effective yeah. like a gambling machine. And, um and, and you know, they would win a little bit of money. I would make a little bit of money. But it was always, always this game of trying to make a little bit and make a little bit. Mm. And then um, kind of a little bit later, uh, my dad started his own company. He's a, a general contractor back in Scotland. And kind of seen him grow that company. He took over from his uh, father. There was a four-person company that turned into be a 35-person company. So, mm. you know, he grew that and – you know, and kind of seeing kind of his uh, entrepreneurial spirit. I definitely think uh, in the background, cause it was definitely not a conscious thing. It was very much a subconscious, uh, you know, absorbing all that entrepreneurial spirit. But, yeah. uh, you know, all roads, I guess, led to, to what we do now at TXG. Amazing.
0: Yeah, I would like to get into that. Uh, where where do you get introduced to golf? Is it like family? Is it in your childhood years? And then do you end up going to school uh, to play golf as well, competitive?
1: Yeah, so it was it was actually a little bit later. So I, I took up golf pretty late, relatively speaking. Uh, I was 16 when I first started playing the game. Um, my dad uh, took me uh, to play with him. It was it was the first vacation uh, I went on as a, a lone ranger with my parents. My brother had uh, turned 18 and, and he was going to Ibiza with his friends and I was still stuck in the family vacations. <laughs> and, um, so we went to Portugal and, and my dad and I, uh, he dragged me out to play uh, to be honest. I wasn't overly keen. And he said, listen, come and we'll you know, we'll play nine holes. And if you like it, great. And if and if you don't, we'll leave after nine holes. So um sure enough, I fell in love with the game, you know, kind of that day, to be honest. I still remember it very vividly. Um and when I came back, I was, you know, I was keen to carry on playing and you know, when we get back to Scotland. Um and the crazy thing is we grew up actually, our holiday home growing up was in St Andrews. Mm, so wow you know, from probably the age of maybe 12 to, to 15, 16, we would be, we'd spend all summer long in St. Andrews, but I never touched a club. So <laughs> I was in the home of golf and it's, you know, as obviously as time turns out, I take this pathway into uh, being, you know, a, a die hard and to be very entrenched in the golf industry yet. I'm in uh, the one place where you wish you could be. And I had no interest in the game at that point until uh, that vacation
0: with my dad. Wow. So I'm curious then, uh, where do you end up taking uh, kind of your love and your passion for golf that you start to develop here? Uh, do you end up going to school? I know you went to the University of Birmingham. Uh, what did that look like? So that, so Birmingham were, um, so it was
1: through the PGA uh, of Great Britain and Ireland. Um, so uh, I turned pro. Uh, I was actually, so the, as it turns out, I was working for uh, for my dad and his company uh, one day aged 18. Um, and I was just working with, with a group of guys one day And one of the guys, I overheard him say that his friend had just been fired uh, from his role as an assistant golf pro at our local club. Mm. So uh, when I heard that, I remember grabbing my phone, phoned my mother, told her, meet me at lunchtime with my golf clothes. I heard the assistant pro just get fired. I'm going to go and ask the pro for his job, basically. And um, so she comes up, gets me, drives me down down to the golf club, I meet with the pro and his wife and I said, listen, I, I know you've got some unfortunate circumstances. You've just uh, had to let your assistant go. I really think, uh, you know, I can help you guys in the shop and uh, I would love to do it. And uh, and that's, that's kind of where uh, the whole thing started.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So how yeah. long does this period last where you're uh, helping him out at the systems here? Um, and how long does that go until you, is this author grade school?
1: Yeah. So this was uh, so 18, I'd, I'd left high school. Uh, at the time I, I was, I was kind of, you know, started playing golf at 16 turned professional when I was 18 but I really you know I got went basically from a beginner golfer to a two handicap in about two and a half years <laughs> um but it was I was still very new in the game you know although I'd, I'd learned to play to high level I didn't really know that much about golf so it was um a very very a famous amateur golfer in Scotland named Colin Dalgleish that sort of took me under his wing. And he gave me some great advice to say, listen, I think you should rather than pursuing a career playing right now, I think you should try to um, turn professional, you know, treat it like an apprenticeship where you're going to have, you know, four years of, of you know, uh, education where you can continue to learn a little bit more about the game and the swing and all the mm. different facets uh, of the game uh, and then at the end of that, you'll know which direction you want to go, and and that's exactly what I did. So four years of uh, of of going through the training program, um, as you said, distance learning with the Birmingham, uh, Birmingham University, um, mm-hmm. and playing tournament golf, and getting you know to to learn how to teach people and learn about golf biomechanics, mm-hmm. you know, and all that sort of other stuff, you know, it really it really done nothing but fuel my fire for golf equipment throughout that process. I, mm-hmm. I really at that time. When I was at the PGA, I noticed that no one else really was focused on equipment. No one really had a passion for what clubs, what shafts people were using. Yeah. this was in the very early days of launch monitors, and I was very curious about that type of thing. And it didn't seem like anyone else was. Um, so it seemed like a really, uh, you know, nice opportunity to to move in a direction that there wasn't going to be much competition in.
0: Yeah. Wow. So I, I'm curious about this transition here. Uh, leaving the University of Birmingham, did you have any other jobs, maybe in the equipment space uh, prior to TXG as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, we done a little bit of club fitting. The, the pro that uh, I worked for had a, a very successful business in, in golf retail. So um, at the time it was, you know, in the early 2000s was when aftermarket shafts in golf were really starting to kind of kick in. You know, you started to see the, you know, for those of you that are, are kind of into uh, golf equipment, there was the green Aldola NV shaft. There was the yellow uh, UST Pro 4 shaft. So we, you started to notice players playing these different colored shafts. And it was it's like, well, I wonder what that one does. And I wonder what this one does. So, you know, it, the early 2000s, the, the early days of the internet. So I would go on all these websites and kind of learn a little bit about all these shafts and hmm. the early days of golf forums and things like that. It was all very... Very yeah. kind of uh, back alley uh, information at, at that point. But, you know, I was always really, really curious to learn. And, and it didn't really seem like there were many others that were like that. So, in a very quick space of time, I kind of gained a reputation locally and also uh, amongst the PJ pros that I played golf with. Go and see Ian, he's the equipment guy. He knows what that shaft does or what that head does, how the ping compares to the tight list or whatever that may be. So you know, the the early days of trying to gain a competitive advantage through using equipment was was sort of forged in my mind at that
0: time. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Ian's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Clear Audio. Clear Audio is a performance audio brand best known for high-end earbuds, headphones, and smart speakers. As a podcaster myself, I'm editing all the time. It's important that the quality of the audio is on key to make sure that the audio for you, the listener, is dialed up. So if you're on the go, you're a traveler, you're a student, anything else, make sure to check out Clear Audio at clearaudio.com. That's clearaudio.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. 2015, that is when TXG uh, evolves. I'm curious, when do you find the passion to transition from what you're doing existing to launching your own uh, fitting Mm. company?
1: So in 2004, when I started with TaylorMade in 2004 and, and, you know, I loved working for them at that time, they were really making waves as the number one company in golf. Uh, They were making phenomenal, you know, golf clubs in the the R500 and R7 and R9 series, really doing great stuff. But it got to a point where I realized that they'd made great clubs in some areas of the game and then others, you know, Titleist might be better or Mizuno might be better Mm. in certain things. So, I really kind of, I think I was starting to to gain uh, a sense of one company is not the best direction for every golfer. You know, yeah. you, you want to in order to offer the the right uh, experience for for people, we we really need to give them the most options we can and be truly brand agnostic. So mm. I think having that independent mindset from the get go uh, was what ultimately led to me, you know, making a, a, a kind of pathway towards uh, starting TXG.
0: Mm, for sure. So once you uh, launch, what what does this concept look like Uh, when you first launched it? Is it just you? Do you have any employees or any any help? And then what does the, the model look like from here?
1: So it was it was my wife and I, uh, my wife Tracy and I. So we had moved over from Scotland to Canada in two thousand and eleven to to uh, work within another startup. I was a part owner of that one. Uh, mm. There was five of us who owned, uh, owned owned that company. We worked there for four years, and then, as you say, twenty fifteen, we left that company to start TXG. So um, it was Tracy and I, and and our other uh, you know employee, who's who's my number two and, and closest confidant in the company, uh, Mike. And uh, you know we we sort of built the the model of TXG and, and what we thought you know we needed to do to be successful and different and you know offer something that was truly unique in the space. Um, I think a big part of that at the time was was the uh, desire to have a digital presence, not just a brick and mortar yeah. presence where people could come and you know learn from us in person. Yeah. Um, the the kind of idea that we would leave a, a bigger legacy and 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 have more of an impact in the game was, was going to be through social media and digital media. And that's when we launched the, the YouTube channel in mm. late 2017.
0: Amazing. I'm curious uh, with especially launching on socials and your marketing, can you find a specific demographic that you might find that's attracted to TXG or is it pretty wide range? What would you say? It level is, of golf?
1: It, yes, yeah, a wide range. I mean, I think it just comes down to uh, any golfer who's curious enough to try to improve. You know, mm. we, uh, we know the power of social media, digital media, youtube specifically as the second largest search engine in the world that people will go and and try and find solutions to their problems within that i felt that we had built something special in in 2015 and 16 and and we were truly doing something unique but the hard thing was how do we share that with people how do we get people to understand that what we are doing is unique so
0: Mm. rather
1: than tell people what we do we decided to use the channel to show people what we do and then ultimately let them decide whether they, they thought that what we were doing was, um, you know, the merit was in it for them to come and, and come and visit with us.
0: For sure. So you have the uh, virtual experience uh, digitally. I'm curious for the listeners out there, can you explain like what's that POV like if a consumer were to go into the brick and mortar, uh, what could they experience at TXG?
1: So okay, you're going to come in and experience a, a baseline test with your own clubs. We're going to get to know the DNA of the golfer, we're gonna know how uh, we're gonna try and figure out how well their clubs are suited to them. Then we're gonna kind of write up a a, sort of a prescription for what we think improvement needs to look like, whether that's longer clubs or lighter, different grips, heads, whatever it might be, could be a golf ball change. Um, and we're we're gonna lay up, up a a pathway to to making those changes to help them obviously play better golf. And you know, ultimately what we're trying to do is help people enjoy the game a little bit more. The last thing we want is them being frustrated by you know, a constant slice or a hook mm. or, you know, the clubs feeling like they're too heavy to the point where they get fatigued late in the round. So, you know, we're truly customizing the, the golf clubs to give the golfer the best experience when they play the game. And, and I think that's ultimately one of the ways we differentiated ourselves. We were not just concerned about what was going on in the Bay and getting the numbers better and the, in the moment. Yeah. You know, having the mindset of the customer's going to leave with these clubs and they're going to take them to their club and they actually have to start shooting lower scores, or the thing is going to be or the whole process is going to be a failure. Yeah. So, you know, our, our kind of role and, and our, our philosophy was to go, how do we take that customer or how do we how do we follow that customer on the journey with these golf clubs? How do we continue to be part of that process? And through technology now such as Arcos, where we can give the golfer um, you know, 14 sensors on the golf club. It allows them to gather data metrics on their scores, how many greens they hit, how many fairways they hit, how far they're hitting each club. We can be preemptive to any problems that they have in their game um, Mm. without them having to reach out and tell us that they're struggling with a three-wood or a drive or whatever it might be. We can literally see it in their metrics on their their user dashboard so that we can literally be with them on every round that they play. And if we see that there might be a, a problem with a seven iron or a single club or a set of clubs, we can then get them back in, do a follow up, make sure that what we diagnosed the first time is the same as what we're we're looking at now, and then that's truly, you know, the the tour experience because that's what tour players get every week in the PJ Tour.
0: That's amazing. I'm curious the technology that goes behind this. Was this developed by like your R and D team, or did you bring in this technology from a third party? What did this look like? This is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, so this was by a third party. Arcos uh, was started by a, a, a phenomenal um, uh, entrepreneur, uh, Sal Side. Uh, Arcos he's he's become a good friend and and somebody I greatly admire for his his desire to connect the community of golfers um, mm. and 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 share the, the the best information that really only only the the PJ Tour players had access to. And you know, I think that's where all of us are trying to strive for is is to give the, you know the common golfer the weekend warrior the the chance to get more um information about their golf game that's ultimately going to help them improve mm-hmm. i mean you see these golfers now in the teams of nutritionists and biomechanists and swing coaches and all that sort of stuff and we're trying to surround our clients with you know as much of those services as we possibly can and make it accessible with uh, with our stores
0: for sure well, I'd like to conclude each episode with this. Uh with your time uh and your ventures, if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret, uh what would you say that would be? In terms of regrets, <laughs>
1: um, I mean I don't I mean you've probably heard this a million times from entrepreneurs, uh Cameron, but i really don't think you can live with regrets you know you make yeah. the best decision with the information you have at that time and and being decisive is much much better than not making a decision at all so um you know i, I don't think i have i don't think i have any regrets because as i say i made those those infor- those informed decisions with the best information i had at the time in terms of advice uh, one thing i've always always followed is um you know People overestimate what they can achieve in in a year, and they underestimate what they can achieve in you know five to ten years, and mm. that's something that has been true to you know to me my whole golf career. Whether that's my advancement as a playing professional when I tried to play the game for a living, I wanted to get better so fast. Either you know it wasn't happening fast enough, but when I looked back at it and went, "Wow, you went from a beginner to a two handicap in two and a half years." that was pretty amazing. But at the time I was frustrated that it wasn't going fast enough for me. Mm. You know, I look at TXG as a business and I wanted to be, you know, I wanted TXG to be taken over the whole globe, you know, by, by this time, you know, but here we are, we've got two stores, you know, and and we're growing into other regions in Canada. But when I look back at it now and the global reach of the brand now is, is, is great. And it's fantastic. And people know about TXG all over the world. Um, and, and that's fantastic. We've managed that in six years. But, you know, part of me also says that we've not we've not grown enough. So, mm. you know, I think having that balance of never be too hard on yourself as well. But, you know, given time, you know, the, the, the business will blossom uh, nicely.
0: Absolutely. Well, Ian, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out TXG at txg.ca. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.